Welcome to Season 6 of the Excel Still More Podcast. I am your host, Chris Emerson, and I am here to encourage you in your walk with the Lord, and I'm glad you've joined. Our program continues to be sponsored by Cunningham Financial Group. John is a good friend, and he's helped me and my family in everything from stock and mutual fund investing to annuities, life insurance, and retirement planning. I certainly commend him to you if you have needs in any of those areas. You can reach him at 205-326-7364. Thank you again for your ongoing encouragement and support. Let's get started. Hey, welcome back to ESM Today. There's a little something different going on I want to tell you about for only the third time in over 300 produced episodes. We're going to give a go at an interview format. Back in, I think, April of 2022, I had a chance to interview Hal Elrod, who was the author of the book, The Miracle Morning, and it really shaped the program, and I enjoyed doing that, got good feedback on that. And then late last year, Kenny Embry conducted an interview where he and I talked about minimizing stress, and really, I think folks got something out of that too. I know Kenny and I did. And so I've been looking to do it again, and it seemed just fitting to choose Jacob Hudgens. Jacob is a friend, he's a fellow preacher, and he's the author of the book, House Rules. 10 Guidelines for Christian Homes. We've been going through that some right here on the program. I think we've done four episodes covering the first seven of those rules. Today, I wanted to come in and conclude with the last three, and I thought, hey, if I can get the man, the myth, the legend on board to talk about it from his own perspective, I wanted to do that. So that looks like it's coming together. And so, Jacob, thank you for joining the program today. Uh, Thanks so much, Chris. I really appreciate uh, the way that you guys have used the book. And it's just been a, a huge blessing to me. When you write a book like this, you have no idea if anyone will read it. Maybe your mom. My mom did read it. Uh, but uh, this uh, is just a wonderful thing that it's blessing families and and uh, appreciate you guys and appreciate you having me on uh, to talk a little more about it. Yeah, we have definitely used this material. I read it and then created a three-month program for our adults, and we brought our young adults in, and that's kind of what we'll talk about today, how these rules really span through age ranges and generations. Right now, our junior high class and high school class are going through it with teachers who had been in the program the last quarter, and we've just really enjoyed it. So thank you for that. What I'll do to get started, just to remind everyone, and this will be posted in the notes, is I'll read through the seven rules that we've covered so far. Home is a safe place. All people deserve respect. We tell the truth. We speak with love. No gossip allowed. By the way, Jacob, that was huge. We spent like two weeks on that here. That was really great. Rule six, we take responsibility. Rule seven, we deal with our problems. Again, there are past episodes on that. Today, after we've talked generically about Jacob's influence and what brought all this together for him, we will finish today with rules eight, nine, and 10. We lead by serving. We control ourselves, and I've worded it this way for the purpose of the slides in the show, angry does not equal right. So that's where we're headed. Uh, I have a series of questions for Jacob, so I'm going to ask them and then turn it over his direction. This book has helped a lot of people. You, as a husband and teacher and father of three, I'm sure it's been good for you guys. What motivated you to write a book on this topic? Well, we... My wife and I have always had a passion for building a strong home, a strong family. We both come from divorced families, and uh, so when we got married, we kind of had that interest. How do we make this where it's something that we haven't really seen before and make it last? Uh, So that's always been a focus. We want to do better than what we were given. And um, 
when we had children, you know, that just kind of complicates everything. So this was a, a book that sprung out of a lot of teaching and preaching that I was doing where we were working with our kids, we were working with one another, and then we had other families in the church. And what I noticed, really the, the key insight of the whole book is that these are basic Christian lessons. There's nothing that's unique about parenting or marriage in the book. It's that these are things all Christians need to know and become. And I just found that when you apply the gospel in your home, first to yourself and then to your family, uh, it's an amazing guiding principle for the home. And I just kept thinking, if my kids leave my home knowing these things, they're going to be doing pretty well and will have done pretty well as a as a parents. But then also, uh, if we can live these with each other, my wife and I will have a happy, blessed marriage. And so it just sort of made sense to put all that out there and try to crystallize it in as short a form as possible so people could use it and remember it. Yeah, that's really great. I, I hope that people understand that authors and teachers and preachers, we're really working on ourselves, working on our homes and thinking, if this is what God wants me to do, and it's helpful to me, then maybe it'll help others. I also think it's interesting to hear you talk about how you're drawing from your past. Somebody looks at Jacob and Chris and says, hey, they still have kids at home. They don't know what it's all like and what it can turn into and what can happen. Well, sure, there's variables out of our control, but you know, we grew up in a certain home and went all the way through. We were teenagers. We were in our 20s. We saw a lot of things. So I think we draw from past and present and project to the future. And I like where you got into, this is kind of the next question I wanted to ask. You got in this idea of these are values for homes. There's no question. Any of these can help your home as a package. They'll do a lot of good. But what I really wrestled with in, in teaching it is it just feels like the kind of thing Chris and Amir need to communicate about. Each one of these rules, no matter which one we pick, and I'll ask you to maybe give little snippets of of several of them in a minute, there is application to your home. And I love the way you built early in the book, like that's where habits get incubated and that's where you leave the deepest imprint. So I'm not demeaning the importance of focusing on the home. You made a great argument for why to do that. It's also true where you go to work. It's true at the church, but really it's almost like these are the kind of person I'm choosing to become rules that will inevitably affect others. So when you're building these or talking about these, how do you kind of package that as two pieces? There's the me part, and then there is the relational part. Right. Well, I think um, when you talk to a married couple that's having problems, um, it, it always goes according to the same script. A married couple that's having problems, they always think the other one is to blame. And the problem there is if, if the other one is always to blame, no one is actually able to change anything. Uh, and I feel like that's just sort of a general principle of all relationships, but especially families. I can't, I can't fix my family. I can't change them. I can't make them different, but I can fix myself and change myself and work on me. And through that, um, I have a, a role of leading them towards something better as they see that this matters to me, this is important to me, and this is what I want us all to live by. I'm not above this rule. I'm not going to give you a rule that I can't live by. Um, they see that this is really something that I sincerely believe, and they want to try to be a part of that. So a lot of these are um, showing the, the consistency that I do believe this, I need this myself, and I cannot 
give them rules to my wife or my kids that I think I don't need to live by. If I do that, they'll immediately smell a rat. So it seems like to me a natural progression to say, okay, first to me and let me work on me. And then uh, then we move out and we start to say, okay, now as we try to create a culture that's different, dialogue that's different, that's going to start with I'm trying to make these changes and then we're going to move out toward one another. How do we build this into our habits as a family? Uh, how do we have discussions about this as a family? Uh, how do my kids need to learn this at whatever stage they're at? Because, you know, it's not always the same uh, depending on how old they are. So um, to me, the balance is I can't, I can't make rules for them that I won't live by. But if I'm just changing me and I never talk about it with them, that's also a problem. So, so I see both of those as important, but I always am going to say I have to work on myself first. And, uh, you know, the, the old in the plane, when you're going down, the oxygen mask drop down, you put on your own mask before you put on someone else's. And in the same way, we have to work on ourselves before we can help someone else. Or Jesus would say, take the, the beam out of your eye before you take the speck out of someone else's. Yeah, that's great. I think we should give this a go. So we're going to put it into practice in this way. The six rules that we've gone through so far, I'm going to throw one at you one at a time. Give a sentence or two on how Jacob is working that rule in himself. And then maybe a sentence or two, maybe even beyond just the idea of being a good example, a sentence or two of how you are trying to project that into the lives of your boys, uh, your daughter, your wife, your family. So rule number one, Home is a safe place. Uh, this is a rule that's about what we allow in terms of uh, safety and uh, what people are permitted to do in the home. So it, there's no violence. There's no um, yelling in our home. And especially I think of, do my kids and my wife feel that they're free to speak their mind and be honest with me? Uh, and tell me what they're thinking. That's always a barometer for me for how safe things are. Uh, if they feel like they need to hide it, if they feel like I can't take it or they're worried about angering me, then it's not a very safe place. I like that. I like the way you said that because obviously first you need to make sure that you are not getting angry and you're controlling yourself. But I like the way you're weighing how it's going in your home based on the way they relate to you. If they cannot speak freely with me, then I have to kind of go back to square one. Rule number two, all people deserve respect. Yeah. So this is a lot about how we talk uh, to each other and about other people. And so there are certain things that are off limits and we kind of have to discipline not only ourselves, but kind of talk to each other when someone crosses that line. Uh, but the barometer there is always, you can hear it, you know, whenever someone else comes up, especially uh, through the course of life, somebody might anger you, frustrate you, and you bring it up in the presence of others in the family. And you can just hear, okay, that's not a good way to address that. You know, I don't think that's very kind or respectful. And maybe sometimes even, have you thought about this? Because there may be more to this story than what you're considering. Yeah, that was a really interesting one for our class. Uh, the idea of everybody deserves respect. I'm supposed to love and care for everyone. I mean, we biblically know that, but somebody was like, somebody breaks into your house. I mean, how how don't they have to be kind of good before we show respect for them? And boy, I think our kids can really pick up on categorizations we make of who is worthy of our time or prayers or who is redeemable. 
And to me, when I think about, I just love the way you worded the rule. I mean, all people deserving respect is sort of like everybody's redeemable. Everybody matters. Uh, and we need to think about it that way. Rule number three, we tell the truth. Uh, so this one seems pretty straightforward. Um, I'm going to be honest in all circumstances with my wife and my kids, uh, and I expect honesty back. Uh, that doesn't mean that I'm sharing things that are inappropriate or anything like that, but the barometer there is always, um, do I get the truth from them? And you know, over time, especially as kids grow up, uh, they you sort of build that trust, that dependability, faithfulness, uh, you can kind of see how they're doing. Are they honest with you on a regular basis? And there are times you can check up on them with simple things like, did you eat that? You know, what'd you do with this? Did you take out the trash? To more complex things like, what were you doing with your friends when you went out the other night? And so I'm always rating that. Um, but that's a function of what our kids are seeing from me and my wife and how we treat them. I think one of the things that's particularly hard about that rule is uh, we we have to think about age appropriateness with certain things that we tell our children uh, because they're not always ready for the full truth about the the ugliness in the world, the full truth about what someone has done, you know, things like that. That um, we have to balance discretion and truth telling. I don't ever want to lie to them, but there may be some things that are best safe for for a later time. Yeah. Summer and I have thought a lot about this rule from our side. There are things that we don't need to share with the kids. There are things that we do. And the things that we do, there's a way to do it. There's actually like a spectrum of a way to do it where truth is palatable and productive. And it's easy to let other factors get in the way and just tell the truth unproductively, which leads us to kind of rule four. And I love the way these two are packaged back to back. They need to be. Uh, Paul certainly did so in Ephesians and, and throughout the New Testament. But Rule number four, we're telling the truth, but we also speak with love. What does that mean from your perspective as a person and the way that you speak and then what your expectations are in your home? Yeah, so I think it's it's negative and positive. Um, some things you don't say and words you don't say, names you don't call each other and uh, lines you don't cross even when you're frustrated with each other. Uh, the other is positive where I want to be affirming to my kids and my wife. I want them to know I care about them. And so I want to speak encouragement. Paul talks about words that give grace uh, and someone leaving their conversation with me is going to know not only that I care about them, but that I want them to grow stronger in the Lord. I want good things for them going forward. So so they leave encouraged instead of uh, torn down, which is a, which is a love proposition. It's almost surprising to me. I know you and I, we've studied and taught the word for years, but just, I don't know what, it hit me the last couple of times through the New Testament, how much the word patience and gentleness, the context in which gentleness is used, people who are caught in trespasses and burdens, people who are ensnared by the devil. It just doesn't seem like there's much of an instance where you can toss out care and consideration and carefulness in the way you approach anyone. You say, well, what if they're, well, then especially, probably, we need to be careful with that. We've thought a lot about that. Rule five, no gossip allowed. Now, I'd been meaning to ask you, like none or some, what, what do you mean by that? I mean, no gossip allowed. Um, so I, I said in the book, I'm amazed at how I hear Christians try to justify their gossip. Um, I think some of it has to do with fuzzy lines, trying to figure out exactly what gossip is. And, and uh, there's discussion of that in the book. But I would say generally, 
when we're talking about people because we're bored and people are really interesting and we really want to share something that's destructive or negative or critical, um, that's just not a good speech pattern, thought pattern, and it's certainly not a good family practice uh, because a family is a culture in which gossip can really fester and sometimes we even turn our whole family against a person uh, just by talking about them uh, in a way that's completely unfair. Just turn that around and, and ask yourself if you would want that to happen to you. And you'll know pretty quickly that that's not a good thing. So I think with all the qualifications and things that I make in the book aside, this is just about a healthy way of talking, viewing other people and being careful that we don't allow relationships to be destroyed because we're not careful in our, our way we think about them outside. Um, really, the surprising thing may be to people, we think what we say at home is fine. You know, that's like a safe place. We're in the bunker. Uh, and I just see that as the exact opposite. What I say at home is going to have a different effect on the people I care about most. And so I want to be even more careful about it. Yeah. I think it was you said this, you or ChatGPT or somebody, defining gossip as this idea of reducing that person's estimation. We use terms like defaming character, but reducing their estimation in the eyes of someone else. In other words, I'm talking about someone who's not in the room, and when I'm done, the people in the room think less of that person. Now, if that person's in sin or something, I want them to be concerned for that person. I want them to be active in helping them. But very often what happens is for weird reasons, for really crummy reasons, sometimes I feel good when I'm done with this conversation because you guys think as lowly of them as you're supposed to. And sometimes it's this whole pride thing like you, you know, you think too highly of this person. Let me see if I can reduce that. And there are a variety and you cover a lot of this in the chapter, a variety of reasons why entertainment, boredom, jealousy. Sometimes it's religious crusading in the name of the Lord. I need you to think this person's crummy because they are. And it's all just, it's all just so poor. And uh, I just like the way you kind of widespread it and cover it every base. Uh, rule number six, which catches us just about up. Rule six, we take responsibility. So tell us a little bit about what that looks like for you. So this is, as each person comes into our family, um, you know, they they have to grow into this place where they realize who they are and their own limits, their own stuff, their own jobs. Uh, these, this is who you are and what you do and you're not someone else. Uh, so I think part of that is early on, we needed to have a conversation about, um, marital responsibilities, who's going to do what. And we had to kind of work through that, uh, and then with the kids, as they grow, trying to get them to see this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. These are your things. You need to put them away. If you got them out, you put them up, that sort of thing. But also um, it has to do with responsibility for your behavior when you do things that you shouldn't do. That's not somebody else's fault, which is sort of an, a very ingrained instinct in us to, to blame other people. And so to say, I'm going to take responsibility, even if that's unpleasant when I make a mistake is an important principle. And again, that's something they need to see me doing, my wife doing. When we make mistakes, we do what we shouldn't do. We're just as responsible and just as guilty as when they make mistakes. So uh, just a universal rule in the home that I have my stuff, my responsibilities, and my own accountability for when I do wrong. Yeah. 
I think it was near the end of that chapter, you said something that really stuck with me. We talked to our kids about it. I probably won't word this right, but it was something like responsibility has to be agreed upon. Like somebody has to say, yes, I, I own this. It doesn't mean I'll always do it. I think in the episode a couple weeks ago, I talked about maybe a kid making his bed or something. He may not always do it. He may need to be disciplined about it, but he has agreed to it. He said, yes, that's, I agree that that is what I am supposed to do. Because if you can't get that on board, I mean, what have you got? All of a sudden, I'm carrying out roles because others are telling me to, not because I even think I should be doing it. And I think that's kind of a good conversation to have with kids. We've got a widespread of kiddos. I actually don't have a teenager right now. I have 20 and 12, but that'll change soon. And on both ends, you know, you kind of have to be like, do you get that this is something that matters to this family? And I thought you developed that really, really well. All right, rule seven, and then we'll, we'll package the last three together and spend a little time on it today. Rule seven, we deal with our problems is the way it's worded. I, I think you pretty quickly in the chapter explore the idea of problems with others, but you can go any direction you want with what this chapter means to you. What does rule number seven look like for you? Uh, so I think of this as we're going to be a, a family, a culture where we're not just going to ignore stuff. And if we have an issue, we're going to go work on it and fix it. That's a Jesus principle. Uh, Jesus teaches us to do that with our brother and we're going to do it with each other and practice at home. But also uh, when conflicts inevitably come up with other people, we're going to go manage them. Uh, but the main issue here that we're, we're fighting against is the kind of family that holds longstanding grudges that nobody can talk about. And uh, we sweep everything under the rug and act like it's not a big deal. Meanwhile, we get real bitter and cold and, and uh, with each other and with other people kind of have a list of people we don't look favorably on. And uh, we want to be a different kind, more like Jesus, different kind of family. It takes some courage and it takes some willingness to have hard conversations to develop those skills. Uh, but I don't think they can start too young uh, when, when kids have conflicts that, that we're going to go fix the problem and then be happy again. Man, I just want to follow up with this with you for a minute. I think about what Jesus said in Matthew 5 about, you know, you're at worship and everything's fine. And you realize, wait a minute, I have a broken down relationship. And whether it's their problem with you or you with them, if you have some power to change that, I just feel like this disconnect in Christianity needs to be brought back into focus that my relationship with other people and my part in that is my religion. It's not more or less important than what I'm offering to God, but the two are, are connected. We get a lot of passages like that, like the husband in First Peter 3 about, you know, if you treat your wife poorly, then God's not listening to your prayers. I just wish we could evaluate that more. I, I got to do a lot of teaching last year on grace to faith to life, and you take the book of Ephesians, it shows you that so beautifully about God's great gifting and grace and how it changes your heart and life. But when you get to chapters four through six, it's relationships. It's your fellow brothers and sisters. It's husbands and wives, and boy, really connecting that the way I deal with problems I may have with another person, that that is my faith and can't be untethered from it. So you really, you rung some bells with that that was very helpful for our, for our group, so thank you for that. Okay, here we go, rules 8, 9, and 10. We will do sort of a similar type format, but give a little bit of extra depth to it since it hasn't been covered in any episode so far, and this will wrap up this series for now, and I'm really thankful for the things we've learned along the way. I'm going to list the last three and kind of ask a, a question like this. When 
Jacob, when you look at a guy, let's sort of set the other seven to the left for a minute. You look at someone who has these three qualities working in tandem in their life. Like, what does this guy look like? How does he live? What are some identifying factors? So rules eight, nine, and 10 are as follows. We lead by serving. We control ourselves. And angry doesn't equal right. Or I think your chapter is just because I'm angry doesn't mean I'm right. Here's a guy who's just working on these three right now. And it's starting to bear some fruit in his life or her life. Build a picture of what that looks like. So this is a person who uh, the choices they make are choices. They're not just reactive. And so when situations come up, they are careful and thoughtful about how they're going to respond. Some of that has to do with leadership where we're choosing not to be served, but to serve. I'm not going to worry about whether this puts me out. I'm going to go ahead and do something for someone else. Some of that has to do with I don't just have to react or be frustrated with someone or, you know, hit them back in kind or however you want to phrase that. Some of it is, I know I'm angry, but I'm going to stop myself and evaluate this and see what is productive about this and why I'm feeling this way and what's the proper course of action devoid of emotion. So uh, it's someone who is in a way insulated from some of those natural stimulus response patterns. Uh, So with control, control is sort of the key to the three uh, because there is a sense in my spirit, I don't have to do anything. I'm going to choose this and I'm going to choose my response and take accountability for my responsibility, accountability for my response. And so I don't have to give into my anger. I don't have to give into my selfishness. I'm going to choose to do what's the right thing here. And without that control, we just go back to, I think, our natural state, which is I'm going to do whatever I feel like and I'm going to react however I want. I'm, I'm out of control. Yeah. It culminates your list. You know, a lot of it begins with just the way you think and feel and and look at the world around you. And then you get into your speech. And now it, it does. It just seems like as we get to the end here, now it's time to open the front door and get out there. And as a preacher and teacher in particular, Jacob, I just thought about, like you said, the control is where this all begins. Am I under control of who I'm going to be today in whatever environment? Or like you said, or am I reacting to things? Because I, I really have work to do, and that work is service. It's all different types of service and using the blessings God is giving me and the energy of the day. But we get frustrated. We get frustrated with our own failings. We certainly preachers, teachers, parents, everything beyond just what the mirror reveals to us. We get upset with what other people do or don't do. Can I keep it going? Can I maintain servitude and not be reactive? And so I've been thinking a lot. That's why I ask that question just in our ministerial work, how those things can work uh, to keep us moving in the right direction. Just like with Jesus, we always go back to Jesus when we need help. He was so controlled and focused. He just wanted to serve and help. And so many people gave him so many reasons to get mad at them. And he very rarely flipped tables. He flipped a few tables. He popped some whips, mainly in defense of the integrity of his father and his father's house, rarely if ever, because he felt personally insulted. You know, In fact, when he was most directly personally insulted, he just, he just gave. He just gave his life. So Love the way that works together. I'm going to, you can comment more on it as we move forward, but I'm going to break it into little pieces. This first one, just to give everybody some specific insight. Rule eight, we 
lead by serving. And the way you word the question is, it's ultimately a house rule. It's something that we do. And I like the way you you get us there because while self-evaluation is good, we can become too focused on just me and forget the we. So kind of walk me through the same process of what does we lead by serving mean for Jacob? And then, and then what do you hope that it means for your family? So, yeah, we have some service roles that we're in. Um, Obviously, as a husband and father, um, I can take that as a role where other people are there to do stuff for me. You know, I can my my sons are old enough where they can mow the yard. I don't have to mow the yard. You know, they serve me. You know, I could put my feet up and say, hey, honey, where's dinner? Um, Come serve me. Um, But. I want them to see that that's not my role just because any of us could try to do that. doesn't mean that's appropriate. Um, but instead I want to show that I'm giving, that I'm, um, about them first and not about me first and that whatever, uh, roles I'm in, they're not about me, uh, being receiving something from someone. So, uh, for me, you know, in church work, that's the same. Uh, I want my family to see, that I'm a servant of the church and I want them to see that I, while I do have some measure of leadership role, um, I'm not there so that everybody can just think I'm awesome and praise me and do stuff for me. You know, I'm there to work. I'm there to serve. And then you just have friendships and relationships where opportunities like this come up all the time uh, where people are either in need, uh, you know, serious, some kind of physical need, or it's that especially people are lonely Uh, People have some um, burden that they need to share. Uh, Whatever it is, I'm going to sacrifice my time, my energy. I'm going to go places that I may not feel like going. And I want them to know I'm probably going to take them along. We're going to do this together because we're going to be servants. We're thinking of ourselves as servants. So while I do have a leadership role in the home, I don't ever want that to become something they resent as my children or my wife. I want them to see, no, this is the way this should look. And at least see, while they won't see, oh, dad is just like Jesus, on some level they can see he's trying to be like Jesus. You know, that's the the hope for me. They see, oh, he doesn't just want to be served. He wants to serve. It really is difficult, I think, in our world and time to give and serve just for the sake of helping others without in any way doing it for or expecting some payback, even if it's just feeling great about yourself because you do it. I'm thinking back to a family member who would occasionally do very kind things, the dishes, sweep the floor, do things, but very much was expecting a certain level of accolade for that. And that projected through the family pretty well that, look, this person's only really going to do it when they need a personal pick-me-up. And I think that that's that's tough to, to work through that. But I do hope that when my kids see me doing something, they don't instantly think, well, this is really about what dad wants or needs. And I found that to be really challenging to make sure about those things and project them and, and just going and helping people who can't help you back, I think it's got to be a part of it. Uh, so those are really, really good. Very, very helpful. Okay. Rule nine, we control ourselves. Uh, self-control Jacob is a huge part of this program for five years. I mean, if we could control, even what I just mentioned, if I could control the reasons why I serve and positioning myself to control those emotions, it would be great. I'm just kind of generally wanting to ask you, you know, if someone said, help me 
with self-control. And then I would love to help my family be more self-controlled. Again, we're kind of following that theme today. Two questions. What what are some places you go to start to help somebody build or rebuild that foundation? Yeah, well, I, I talk about this in the book. Um, for me, uh, major self-control issues are spiritual. And um, I think that when people battle with like a spiritual, like a sin problem that's recurring, that's a self-control issue. I, I think that the issue is we don't read the gospel clearly enough. And so I talk about that in the book about the idea of liberation, that we're set free to be a different kind of person and that God is at work in us and that there are new hopes and new forgiveness when you face up to the problems that you have. And when you really do rely on God to strengthen you to do that work. Um, I, I believe that part of the gospel that has been true personally for me in some of the battles that I've fought. And I, so I would hate for someone to hear what I'm going to say in a minute and say, oh, he's just saying knuckle up and do it. You know, I don't think that's the answer to Christian self-control. Um, so that's the spiritual underpinnings I'm working with. Uh, but Self-control is also like one of the reasons it's such an important part of a home is that it plays out in so many different arenas that are not necessarily spiritual. Um, Some of them are just health related. Like, can we control ourselves? Uh, Right now, we just had a birthday in the house. In the fridge, there is a cake and a bunch of donuts. Okay. And can we control ourselves? That's a question. It's not really a sin question, but it is a question because that can become a problem. Um, Are we going to be active or not? Are we going to spend our money or not? What are we doing just as a family in these arenas? Can we get ourselves out of bed in the morning? Those are all self-control issues. And so it seems to me that what we need is a family dynamic that's willing to say, we don't just get to do whatever we want all the time. And there are times to say no to ourselves. If I were to boil down what self-control means, it is this ability to say no to me, that I could say no to something I want or something I would like. Uh, Paul talks about in Titus denying yourselves. And that's the idea. Can we deny ourselves? Can we say no to me? And then if my kids see that dad is denying himself, dad is working on these things, it makes it a lot easier for them to do it. Uh, But if they see dad's out of control and then throwing a bunch of rules their way, they're going to be frustrated. In fact, I think that may be a way that I can provoke them and and them say, look, this wasn't fair. My dad did whatever he wanted and made us do all this other stuff. And so uh, one of the ways that plays out in our home is just we just have regular conversations about like they're just family meetings about self-control. How are we doing? How are we doing here and here and here? They especially happen. I mean, the the holidays were just here. Um, Holidays are time for, you know, we kind of loosen up on the reins on all the chores and the rules and a lot of the spending and some of the eating. And then January is always like, all right, let's get back on the saddle. And we got to quit spending money all the time. And we got to eat better. And we have to go to school and you can't sleep in. And we probably shouldn't wear our pajamas all day and things like that, you know. So to me, it seems like 
I want that to be a value for them. I want them to say, I know how to do that so that if they do reach a point, you know, I've got one that's 17 is going to be on his own before long. Um, if he gets out on his own and he decides he wants to eat donuts, three meals a day, he will be free to do that. But he also knows there is a part of him that he knows, I know how to say no to this. I can control myself because I've learned that I have lived that it's better for me. And I want that to be the foundation. If he does rebel, that's the foundation he knows how to come back to. Yeah, man, I love this. And I really kind of wish we'd do just a whole conversation on just this one thing, because the two things to me that you pointed out are somewhat less than popular in religious circles and in our fellowship. I think generally when we think of self-control, we go immorality or sin in front of you. That's where self-control is proven. Some may think that's the only place self-control is proven when it's sin there and you got to bootstrap that. You just need to be tough and fight. And your first point, which we won't get a ton of time for today, but I think is probably the coolest, even of the two points, is that God and his power is involved. The Holy Spirit is involved. The presence of the Lord is involved. Uh, it's Philippians 4.13 is saying something, you know, that kind of thing. And so there's this, this sense of grace to faith to life where God's goodness helps you spiritually. And that's what we're talking about. But then when you got to the other thing too, just about practicality of it, which that first thing should lead us to prayer and calling on the the Lord and all that. But when you get to the practicality of it, to me, I think self-control is amoral. It's just who you choose to become, the kind of person you choose to become, which should project in all directions. I just finished that William Danforth book, I Dare You, from 1931. It's a cool book. But he says, hey, the balanced guy is going to produce the same amount of discipline towards his physical well-being and his need for energy as his mental well-being and his need for creativity as his social well-being and his need to have uh, a helpful, encouraging personality as his spiritual well-being, which is his walk with God. And now we would all say that's the most important thing, but he would say, here's my point. Like, if you are a person who is taking responsibility for your life, it should project itself in all of those directions. And I think that's just kind of unpopular. Here's someone who maybe physically is just way off the charts, letting themselves get into a place where they're just unproductive and have no energy. But if they go to church and they're a Christian, then they're self-controlled. Well, I think we need to think more holistically. Like, would you agree with that or would you parse that out a little bit and put some qualifiers on it? <laughs> well, I think um, I think with self-control, we do tend toward sin stuff. Uh, and there are some things that are, um, I don't know, they're surface judgment things that I have to be careful with. Um Somebody challenged me one time to talk about gluttony, and I talked about gluttony and drunkenness, which are self-control issues, you know, and they're usually linked together in Scripture. Um, but, you know, I do think it's like, well, maybe someone has some other reason why they are having this issue or this problem. That happens. But for me, on a like it's just very personal for me, when I am not able to control myself, it's usually not just one area. Uh, it's usually a holistic problem. And when scripture tells us, like 1 Thessalonians 4, be able to control your body or your vessel in holiness and honor, he's, he's referencing sexual immorality. But uh, it's not just sexual immorality that is the need for self-control. Like that's obvious, but there are going to be other arenas in which that crops up. And most of them 
lead to extremes that are destructive. That's the reason we need the control. Uh, and we know ourselves and we know those impulses. Probably most of the time we've given in to most of those impulses. And um, to be able to say no to ourselves is, is like a skill or a muscle that we hone and develop. I will say for me, as I have gotten more controlled in myself, um, it's bled into other arenas. Like I've been able to discipline myself about physical activity in a way that I was not able to before. And I've been able to discipline myself about some of the things that I say in a way that I wasn't able to before. So I think that that um, holistic picture is needed. And I, I guess I would say what seems unpopular, um, that idea of talking about the whole thing instead of just the spiritual side, to me is just saying there is a spiritual importance. And of course, that has eternal bearing. But also, what about my wife and kids who are living in a home with me will suffer if I'm not in control and will learn from me not to be in control, whether that's physical or social or spiritual. Uh, it's sort of the muscle that they're not developing. So I see it in the same way you do as sort of a holistic concern that when God addresses it for us in the gospel and in our spiritual lives, it sort of seeps out into other realms. Yeah. And how does that look in the family? It'll be a little bit different for all, but I think about my 20-year-old Luke. Uh, any to, to put kind of both of your points together, anything he does to pursue closeness with God, I just applaud that as amazing. Any little step he's doing in prayer or study, because it's it's just going to bring him closer to the source who will empower all of these changes in every area. And on the other side, as far as personal discipline and choices, I applaud discipline among in his life, no matter how it shows up. You know, he's been setting his alarm earlier, getting up, going on a walk, drinking a glass of water before he gets to the coffee pot, you know, getting his, whether it's Bible study or not, just getting something going. And I'm like, man, dude, you're doing awesome. Like this, this kind of person, the person you're becoming, uh, that person can be useful to God. So I guess I'm with you. I mean, that's the kind of way we want to connect it. We don't want to go around judging people um, because if, you know, they're socially awkward, it means they're not really Christians or something like that. It just means that uh, because everybody has limitations and some of them are harder to control and some of them maybe even can't be. Um, but I think putting that together is good. So that leads us to rule 10. Thank you for the time today. Really enjoyed this. Uh, rule 10, uh, I have it worded this way in the sheet, angry doesn't equal right. Your wording was was similar to that. Tell us a little bit about, by the way, very interesting class we had about when you get angry, you instantly think you are right. And anything you do is the right thing to do because you've confirmed it by your anger. That emotion is a very confirming emotion that leads to all kinds of stuff. So how do you put the right sort of barriers on that to make sure it doesn't doesn't cause damage. Tell us a little bit about Rule 10. Yeah, anger is just not very reflective. Um, we don't we don't sit and think in our anger. We we act and we yell and we speak. Um, so I don't think you can ever do better than James 1. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Um, that I, I love the language swift and slow. It's pace language that you have to slow your pace uh, when you become angry and listen instead of just talking and then be allow yourself the time to think through the issue. Uh, I talk about Jonah in his example where, where God challenges Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? And that is just a, a, it's just a brilliant question. 
and it will it will lay you bare. Is it right to be angry? And uh, if you can get to where you're asking yourself that question, as you feel yourself start to uh, react, uh, it will be a tremendous asset to you. Um, I, I find it just pours cold water on me. So I think the main thing is to be able to acknowledge, I'm uh, okay, I'm mad. Okay, here, I, is this okay? Should I be feeling this way? I've reached a point when it's not that I'm angry with my wife, I will go talk to my wife and say, Sarah, help me figure this out. I'm mad. Should I be mad about this? Is this fair? Am I missing something? And uh, boy, it's so helpful because it is like I go a little bit into crazy land when I get angry and she's just sitting here in normal reality and she kind of pulls me back, calms me down and you know, she'll give me a good report. And usually the answer is, well, you're right about this, but you're wrong about this, or maybe you shouldn't react that way. You know, there's some, some clarity that comes from her feedback. Yeah. And just looking over the list, it's so constructive the way you have the list. I mean, this idea of what you're talking about and asking for help like that and being humble enough to be outwardly evaluated. I mean, you got to go back to the very beginning. Is home a safe place? And what part does my emotional control play in that? Who deserves respect? When do they deserve respect? If it's true and I'm angry, I don't even know if it's true or not. I'm just angry. Am I willing to find out if it is true? And if it is, how do I speak it in love? And how do I speak it properly to the person, rule five, and not about the person to someone else? Am I willing to take responsibility for that, for the way my anger escapes or what I do with it or how I deal rule seven with this problem, how I serve for the good? You know, just I I love the way I... As we get to the end, I have a question or two, but to me, the way your chapters came together, it just has this really cool, constructive, inside, idealistic beginning of what you hope happens and then how it works in your mind, your mouth, and then ultimately you kind of bring it back around to your emotions again, except really hard ones like self-control and anger, maybe the hardest of ones, and how it all kind of builds together. I feel like anger is one of the most destructive things in a home. And when we talk about home as a safe place, that's really connected to this, um, where anger is a threat to safety. And I don't know that we think about this or talk about this a lot as Christians, but um, this is one of the reasons domestic violence occurs. Uh, People get mad and they're not thinking. And so they do things that they regret forever. And Christians have to take a stand against that. That is evil. And it's evil when I do it. And when I'm tempted to do it, I need to acknowledge it for what it is, that it's a temptation to evil. And so to me, I don't know that we can talk through um, how should our home be without addressing like this is the elephant in the room about what might be a threat here. Um, Yes, there are things like uh, sexual problems and things that I think would be covered in the, the control idea too. But to me, anger, I just see it commonly excused and commonly present because it it is something we're not really calling what it is. So I felt like this is also a call to introspection, particularly for parents, uh, to be able to say, we need to be able to stop ourselves and correct one another. I I do. One of the things I love about my wife and we both do this, we kind of go back and forth um, 
is if either of us is talking to our children in a way that's inappropriate, um, we will address it and address it with each other. And then we'll go say something to the kid and say, hey, this happened. I was too angry. I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have done that. Here's the reason I responded that way. A lot of times it's, I'm not upset at you. I'm upset about something else, you know, but um, it's such a healthy thing to be able to acknowledge, look, I got mad. We all get mad. It's going to happen, but I, I shouldn't treat you this way. You deserve better than this. And you can't always heal all the breaches, but at the very least you can establish this is what we're aspiring to as a family. I love that. There's a lot of humility built into that. Like you're talking about being willing to admit it. Uh, righteous anger, such an interesting idea and term, you know, like we're saying for many righteous anger is I'm angry. Therefore, everything that happens in the next 10 minutes is righteous. And yet when we look at our kids, you know, I still have a 10 and a 12 who are your, your old kiddos who are working through this, but when they get angry, like they, they'll do things that are very out of character. You know, they may reach out and pop them or say something and you're looking at them like what in the world, but they were angry. And so it was a natural outgrowth of that. And, you know, sometimes adults are just kids that are taller. I mean, you're, you're still, you still have that idea that I am angry, therefore, and uh, certainly you're asking us to think about what that means with God. Uh, uh, when we did the class, I talked a lot about, you know, what if God was like that? <laughs> it's only like midday today, Jacob. And if God was like that, we, you and I would be a pile of dust already, you know, but he's not, he's just not like that. He believes in us and he controls himself. Um, even in the days of Noah, he waited a hundred years, that kind of stuff. Hey, this was awesome. Just a couple of final questions and open it up to you. If you have thoughts or things you want to return to, but other than the the obvious thing, which is, hey, go check out this book, which we'll have a link to it, Amazon in the show notes as we've done for each episode. Just a couple of final questions that follow the theme. The first question is about me as an individual. There's somebody who is just a person going, I don't know where to start. How do I, how do I get this going? There's so many rules here. I want them all in my life. That's the focus of this question. What can I do to start? So I think the main thing is we only start with humility. Um, we have to begin with the idea that I need help. I am not good enough on my own. I think that's the reason Jesus starts with blessed are the poor in spirit uh, in the Beatitudes. Um, so I'm teaching a marriage class right now, and this is our whole first lesson that in my marriage, the big issue is not my wife. The big issue is me. And I have to be willing to say, if something needs to change, it may be me. And I can change myself and work on myself. But I have a tendency, like in Matthew 7 with the speck and the beam, to focus on what everybody else is doing wrong and blame them for any problems that I see. So I have to start with the humility to say, this begins with me. I need to live this. I need to obey it. I need to work on it. Uh, if you can start there, then you jump in. And uh, I, I would suggest if you know you don't know where to begin, uh, just, just scan the list of topics and find one that you find either challenging, interesting, or you may even say, I think I'm already good at that one and read through it. You may find you're not as good as you thought, but um, and you may go for the easy win there. But I don't think there's a way you could go wrong if you approach it with humility. Uh, one of the things that concerns me is just that we have this tendency as humans to think that other people are to blame. And when that happens, 
if other people are to blame and my family's a mess because they're all terrible, uh, then I'm really going to struggle reading a book like this because this book is just going to is just going to accentuate the problems they all have. Uh, but if I can approach it with I need to do better, then suddenly the gates are open and we can really make change. Uh, and I especially want to encourage um, if you begin to make changes, uh, your family will notice and your family will respond well. It may take time, especially if you've got a lot of water under the bridge, but there will be a blessing that comes from you tr- making changes to try to follow the Lord and try to bless your family. Yeah, that's a great comment. And it leads to the last question that I had, which is somebody's listening today or they've read the book or they've gone through the classes and they're really working on themselves. So there's no negative towards them. They're genuinely doing that, but there's just someone in their family, maybe their spouse, maybe their son or parent that just is so far off from this. And they're wondering, and this is a question I get quite a bit over the years from the podcast. Somebody listens and says, man, that was useful for me, but I have this family member who needs this so badly. How, how would you advise for me to help them get this journey started? You started with the what is the most obvious thing because it's the most beautiful thing, which is just live it, like become it. Uh, the first time that you don't answer evil for evil or insult for insult, but you give a blessing instead, you change the 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 theme of the room and the day. Uh, so you can elaborate on on that if you'd like, because it's so useful and awesome. But just any ideas of how you might help them pass the message along to help their family? Sure, I think um, it's probably different answers depending on who we're thinking of. Um, if if it's your spouse. Um, I would hope that there would be a, a vein open for a discussion about how we're doing in the family and things that might need to change in the family. Um, so I would think that would be probably a little easier discussion, um, although I, I acknowledge that some spouses are really obstinate and not interested in that, um, in which case I think at least expressing concerns would still be good. I want, you know, I take one of the, the rules and say, I really want us to try to pursue this. What do you think? And how would that look? Well, I think it might mean this and this and this. Um, if you're talking about somebody who their, you know, their home life is a struggle and they're having a hard time, um, it might be a good idea to, you know, depending on the nature of the relationship. I mean, I would encourage the book um, just as a as sort of a third party that you can say, here's somebody else giving you some feedback. I found this book useful. You may find it useful too. Um, but, um, it's kind of hard to judge the level of relationship that you would have a conversation with uh, someone like, I, I don't, if it's somebody you hardly ever talk to, I wouldn't call them and say, Hey, I know you got a lot of problems. So let me fix them for you. Um, I, I am more of the, if, if I can explain to someone, I am not a perfect man and I'm trying to do the best I can to serve the Lord. Here are some of the things that I messed up in. And here's some stuff that helped me. I find that a lot of people gravitate toward that because I'm not holding myself out as an authority or a perfect person. And so I'm just like you. I'm just a regular person. Here's what helped me uh, is a great approach. And if you can talk, you know, about these are some of the changes that happened in our family. And this is what helped us as we work through this. Um, that personal part is going to really go a long way to to. Uh, grease the wheels in that that conversation. So I would just say, um, 
it, it has to start with I'm working on it. And it may even be that I'm working on it is the way forward as you try to help other people work on it with themselves. Yeah, that's great. That's exactly what I wanted to get out there is whether there's somebody is ordering the book or sharing a podcast or a sermon, you really have to have that humility and approach. You can't change people. I, I just, I've been doing this ministry work a long time. You, I don't change anyone. I can only really bring about change through prayer and the power of God and myself, but, uh, but we are tool providers. We're going, hey, here's a tool that has really helped me and it might help you. And if you think back on how you've changed or how I have changed, it's because some tool came into my life, uh, some, some resource, and I was at a good place. And I read it and I saw it and I let God do his work. It wasn't because somebody showed up and said, this is what I'm doing, this is what you need to do. It just it, it doesn't work that way. It goes back to your really cool point about responsibility, whether it's a 10-year-old or a couple of old guys like us, you have to agree to the responsibility and no one can sign you up for that. So uh, that was great. Hey, this was so much fun and I appreciate the time and your insight. Uh, if you have any final comments, I want to kick it over to you for that. I just want to thank you for the work that you put in and the difference that you're making in other people's lives and and certainly the difference that you make in mine. Thank you very much, Jacob, for being a part of the program today. Thank you, brother. I uh, I My prayer is that if we can get people who are primarily Christians, because obviously this is a book for Christian homes, uh, to focus their attention on what's happening in their homes uh, and make strong marriages and make kids that are interested in following God and interested in living the kind of life that a Christian lives, I truly believe there will be a tremendous legacy to our time. And that, I, to me, is one of the most powerful things I can do. We preach the gospel, and so you and I, we go places, and we meet people, and we talk to them. And, and sometimes their lives change. God comes into their lives, and they become new people. Uh, and that's awesome to be a part of that, be on the front row of that. But um, there is no one that can replace me as a husband and father. And that is a work that is so much more intimate and so much more lasting, an impression that I will make that no one else can make. And uh, so I think if we can just get ourselves and others to see the importance of this work, I think it will be a blessing to everyone. It'll be a blessing to all those kids, all those husbands and wives, and then to the world that's watching and saying, is this real? Is the gospel real? They can say, well, it certainly is for that family. I can see it in them. And uh, so that's, that's the goal. So that's my prayer. And anybody who reads this book, I just hope that that just get you a little further toward that goal. Amen. What a great wrap up. Thank you, Jacob, for your time today. And thank you for listening in. I hope you find this helpful for yourself and for your family as you put into place a few really rewarding house rules. Thank you so much for joining in today. If you enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll consider sharing it with a friend. Speaking of friends, if you have any mortgage-related needs, maybe you're a first-time homebuyer looking to refinance or just want to talk about future homeownership goals, reach out to Tyler Kane. He is a senior loan officer with Fairway Independent Mortgage. Tyler and his team, with their expertise and dedication, have helped many families achieve their home ownership goals. They can advise you on the process from start to finish. His website is included in the show notes, or you can reach him directly at 813 380 8487. 
And please remember, whatever you choose to do today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, excel still more.